We're happy for your presence here tonight. We want to thank you for being here. We hope and we pray that what we do here is acceptable and pleasing in the sight of God. I hope and I pray that the study of the scriptures tonight will be beneficial and edifying to you. Before I start my lesson tonight on Acts chapter 10, the conversion of Cornelius and the Gentiles, I want to recognize and thank the congregation here at Northwest for your faithful support of the evangelistic work that we've been doing in Belize the last three years. It was in January of 2016 that myself, Brother Van Miller, Brother Tom Hicklin, we're all three here together tonight in the assembly. We, we made our first trip together to Belize and saw potential to spread the gospel in that country and do the work. And uh, the congregation here is one of many who've supported us in that work, who have provided funds that are necessary for us to uh, make sure the brothers and sisters uh, who are doing the work in Belize, that they have the funds, they have the resources, they have the things that they need to help spread the gospel and help support the work there. So uh, I want to thank you uh, for your support of that work, and we ask you to continue to pray for that work, that we'll continue to have more opportunities to continue to spread the gospel in the country of Belize. Tonight we're going to study the conversion of Cornelius and the Gentiles. If you were here last night... You know that we spent some time looking at quite a few conversion examples in the book of Acts. And one of those conversion examples that we looked at last night was the conversion of Cornelius and the Gentiles. And we were only able to spend a few moments on that conversion example. I think I made a comment that we could spend the whole lesson uh, looking at that story. And that's what I've said in, in order to do tonight, is just to spend some time and studying and understanding this conversion story in its entirety and in its context. This is a very unique conversion example. This is one that we might fail to understand correctly if we don't consider the circumstances surrounding it. You'll remember that this is the story in which God baptized the Gentiles and Cornelius with the Holy Ghost before they received water baptism. That's very unique. We don't read of that happening quite that way in any other uh, story there in the book of Acts. Okay? The question is why? Why did things happen the way that they did in Acts chapter 10? Why did God baptize the Gentiles with the Holy Spirit there in the house of Cornelius? We're going to study to find out the true reason why and the true purpose as to why God did that. You know, some people will uh, point to this as proof that you can be saved today before receiving water baptism or without receiving water baptism at all. Uh, but what we're going to see is, you know, God had something completely different in mind that he wanted to teach Peter and the Jews and Cornelius and the Gentiles when he baptized them with the Holy Spirit there in Acts chapter 10. God did not want Peter and the Jews to learn a lesson that we don't have to be baptized. And God does not want us to take away that, that uh, understanding from what we read here in Acts chapter 10. When we study this story in its context, as few, few uh, I'm afraid, do, we see that there are clearly some other things to consider and some other reasons why God did what he did in Acts 10. Because we want to consider this story in its context, before we look at Acts 10, I want to go back. And I want to start with the Great Commission, okay? After Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, he gave, after he spent 40 days with his disciples teaching them things about the kingdom, 
he gave them final instructions in what we call the Great Commission. We read the Great Commission in Matthew 28, verse 19, when Jesus said, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Notice here, Jesus told them to go and teach all nations. All nations. Jesus gave his apostles a global commission. In Mark 16, verse 15, Mark's account reads like this. He said unto them, Go you into all the world, all the world, and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned. Again, I ask you to notice, Jesus told them to go into all the world, to preach the gospel to everyone, every creature. In Acts chapter 1, Acts chapter 1 verse 7, this is right before the ascension of Jesus back to his Father in heaven. In Acts 1 and 7, he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power. He said, But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem, in all Judea, in Samaria, and to the uttermost part of the earth. Notice the global commission that Jesus gave his apostles. He says, You're going to be my witnesses. He says, It's going to start in Jerusalem. And it's going to go outward to Judea, to Samaria, and to the uttermost part of the earth. And you know, if you keep reading in the book of Acts, you can see how this very commission is carried out by the apostles. When we get into Acts 2, it all starts there in Jerusalem. God baptizes the twelve apostles with the Holy Spirit, and they stand up with Peter on the day of Pentecost in Jerusalem and they preach the gospel to all those Jews gathered there from many different nations, okay? Peter preached the death, the burial, the resurrection of Christ to them. And they responded by believing the gospel that they heard and by being baptized for the remission of their sins. This commission was uh, t carried out and the gospel was taken to and given to the Jews. Here beginning in Acts chapter 2. If you keep reading in Acts chapter 2, you can read about how the church at Jerusalem grew. And it grew outward uh, into the land of Judea, surrounding the city of Jerusalem. And then in Acts chapter 8, we read that the gospel was preached to the Samaritans. Now you have to understand the Samaritans were a mixed Jewish race. They were actually part Jewish and they were part Assyrian. Way back in 721 B.C., God raised up the Assyrian nation to come and conquer the northern ten tribes of Israel for their idolatry. And when Assyria conquered the northern ten tribes of Israel, they spread the Jews throughout their empire, and Jews intermarried with Assyrians, and a new race of people was formed from that. And that race of people was called the Samaritans. That's where the Samaritans came from. That was their history. Well, in Acts chapter 8, Philip the evangelist goes to Samaria and he preaches the gospel to the Samaritan, these half-breed Jews. He preached the death, burial, the resurrection, just like Peter preached to the Jews in Acts 2. And the Samaritans responded in Acts chapter 8 verse 12 the same way the Jews did in Acts 2 verse 41. The Bible says many of them, men and women, were baptized. In Acts chapter 8, we also read the conversion of a, the Ethiopian eunuch. And based on a few of the details that we have concerning this man's story, uh, we infer that he was probably a proselyte. He was probably, in all likelihood, a Gentile from Ethiopia, probably a dark-skinned man, who had converted to Judaism the religion of the Jews. He had went to Jerusalem 
to worship God according to Judaism, the religion of the Jews. So we would say that he was a proselyte, a Gentile who was practicing the Jewish religion. Well, he meets Philip the evangelist, and Philip preaches Christ to him. Philip preaches the gospel to him, and the eunuch responds the same way the Jews did, the same way the Samaritans did. He obeyed the gospel in baptism there in Acts chapter 8, verse 38. So it's interesting to read through Acts and see the gospel start in Jerusalem, go outward to Judea, then to Samaria, and then to this uh, uh, Jewish proselyte, this Gentile that was practicing uh, Judaism. But what I want you to understand, and I think this is key to understanding the things that happen in Acts chapter 10. You read Acts chapter 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, and 9. We don't find any evidence whatsoever in God's Word that the Gentiles were making a diligent and concerted effort to take the gospel to and preach the gospel to Gentiles. Jews, yes. Samaritans, yes. The Ethiopian eunuch, Yes, but we don't find any evidence whatsoever that the apostles were taking the gospel to all creatures, to all nations, and taking it freely and preaching it to the Gentiles. And you might be sitting there and wondering, well, why in the world would those apostles not take the gospel to the Gentiles? Understanding that is key to understanding Acts chapter 10. But understanding that, we have to go back even further than the Great Commission. In fact, we have to go all the way back to Mount Sinai. Now, I hope you'll bear with me as we do this. Remember, we want to understand this story in its context. We want to understand what was really going on during that day and time. If we fail to understand that, we fail to understand why things happened the way that they did. So if you'll bear with me, let's go all the way back to when Israel got the law way back at Mount Sinai. And what we're going to see as we develop these thoughts is that in the mind of first century Jews, there was a wall of social separation that should have been between Jews and Gentiles, okay? In the mind of a Jew of the first century, even in the mindset of the apostles, they were culturally conditioned that it was Jews on this side, Gentiles on this side, and a wall of social separation in between. And the reason for this goes all the way back all the way back to when Israel first became a nation. In the book of Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 6, excuse me, Deuteronomy chapter 7, throughout Israel's history, God had required them to maintain a certain level of separation from Gentiles. And this was something that was just built into the covenant that they were a part of. Okay, in Deuteronomy chapter 7, which was Moses rereading the law I believe about 40 years after it was first given at Mount Sinai. Look at what Moses reminds the children of Israel right before he died. In Deuteronomy 7, if you read the verses before this, God tells Israel, don't make covenants and don't give your sons and your daughters in marriage to the Gentiles. And he tells them, he says, those Gentiles will turn away your children from serving God and they'll turn and, and worship idols. God told the Jews this. He said, don't you get too close and too comfortable with those Gentiles. They'll turn you away from me. And look at what he told him in Deuteronomy 7 and 6. He said, for thou art an holy people unto the Lord thy God. The Lord thy God hath chosen thee to be a special people unto himself, above all people that are upon the face of the earth. God wanted his people Israel, Israel to be a holy, separate, and set-apart people unto himself. 
And that's why he told them from the beginning, you be careful. You don't get too close and too comfortable with people from Gentile nations. If you studied the history of Israel, you know that there were times in their history when they failed to live up to God's expectations. There were times that they became too close and too comfortable with the Gentiles. And what happened every single time? I'll tell you what happened. Exactly what God told them in Deuteronomy 7. They were led astray into idolatry. You know, even King Solomon, in all of his wisdom, he fell victim to this. Later in his life, in 1 Kings chapter 11, we're just going to look at one example of this. 1 Kings 11 verse 1. The Bible says, But King Solomon loved many strange women, together with the daughter of Pharaoh, women of the Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Zidonians, and Hittites, of the nations concerning which the Lord said unto the children of Israel, Ye shall not go into them, neither shall they come in unto you. Why? For surely they will turn away your heart after their gods. But you know, the Bible says Solomon clave unto these in love. He loved these women from all these Gentile nations. And he had 700 wives, princesses, and 300 concubines. And his wives turned away his heart. For it came to pass when Solomon was old that his wives turned away his heart after other gods. And his heart was not perfect with the Lord his God as the heart of David his father. That's just one example of how one of God's kings, a very wise king, was led astray into idolatry because he failed to maintain the proper degree of social separation from the Gentiles that God had commanded. You know, later on in their history, about the year 606 B.C., God finally raised up a kingdom called the Babylonians, and the Babylonians came and conquered the southern kingdom of Judah, and they took them into Babylon for a 70-year captivity, and that was for their idolatry. God finally visited them and rewarded them and punished them for all their many, many generations of idolatry. After the 70-year Babylonian captivity, it seems that God's people had learned their lesson about the dangers of idolatry. And from that point forward in their history on down to the first century, they were very, very careful to keep distance between themselves and the Gentiles. We've got an example of that in Ezra chapter 10, verse 10. This is after Israel came back from that 70-year Babylonian captivity. The Bible says in Ezra 10 and 10, that Ezra the priest stood up and said unto, unto them, unto his people, you've transgressed, you've taken strange wives to increase the trespass of Israel. They came back to the land of Israel and they did the same thing that Solomon had done so many years ago. They married wives from the Gentiles. And Ezra comes back and he sees this and he says, uh-oh, we, we've been down this road before. And what did Ezra tell the people of God? Now therefore make confession in verse 11 unto the Lord God of your fathers and do his pleasure and separate yourselves from the people of the land and from the strange wives. Then all the congregation answered and said with a loud voice, as thou hast said, so must we do. From this point forward in their history, they were very careful, very, very careful to maintain separation from Gentiles. And this was handed on down, generation from generation, down to the days of the first century. The first century Jews were culturally conditioned to avoid all social contact with people of other nations. I want to show you evidence of this mindset in the New Testament. 
I want to show you that truly this was the mind of the first century Jew. Jews on this side, Gentiles on this side, and a wall of social separation in between. Okay? First piece of evidence to that is found in John chapter 4, verse 9. John chapter 4, verse 9. Here a woman of Samaria, a woman who wasn't of the Jewish nation, she recognized this degree of social separation. Remember Jesus is having this conversation with a woman at Jacob's well. She's a woman of Samaria. And you remember Jesus asked this woman for a drink of water. What was the woman's response in John 4 and 9? Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, askest drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Jesus, a Jew, asked this woman, a Samaritan, for a drink of water. She said, Hold on a minute. She said, You're a Jew, and I'm a, I'm a Samaritan. Why are you asking me for a drink of water? The, the Jews don't do that. The Jews don't talk to Samaritans. The Jews don't have social interaction with, with my people. Why? Because there was a wall of social separation. Jews on this side, Gentiles on this side, Samaritans were over on this side, maybe not as far as the Gentiles. At least they had some Jewish blood running through their veins. But the Jews even despised the Samaritans, just like they did the Gentiles. In Acts chapter 10, verse 28, I'm going to fast forward just a little bit into the story that we're going to study in just a moment. And I want to show you that this was also Peter's mindset toward Gentiles before he experienced what happened there in the house of Cornelius. In Acts 10 and 28, Peter has just come into the house of Cornelius, and he's found Cornelius there and a group of his neighbors and kinsmen waiting for him. And I want you to look at the first thing Peter says when he walks in the house of these Gentiles. It's found in Acts 10 and 28. He said unto them, Ye know how that it is an, an unlawful thing for a man that is a Jew to keep company or come unto one of another nation. Peter walks in this house of Cornelius. The first thing he says, if you'll allow me to paraphrase it, he says, I shouldn't even be here. I shouldn't even be here. It, it's unlawful for me, a Jew, to come into the house of a Gentile. I shouldn't even be here. Why? What was Peter's mindset? Jews on this side, Gentiles on this side. And you know, I don't know if you've ever stopped to consider or think about this, but in all truthfulness, this mentality was in the, the church of the first century for a time until we get to Acts chapter 11. And I want to show you evidence of that. And again, bear with me because I think it's important to understand these things, to clearly understand why things happened the way they did in Acts chapter 10, okay? We're going to get to the story in just a minute. But look at this in Acts 11 verse 1. This is after the conversion of Cornelius and the Gentiles. Acts 11 and 1, And the apostles and brethren that were in Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. Now you would think that the Jewish church back in Judea would have been happy to hear that we've got Gentiles up there in Caesarea who have received and obeyed the gospel. Wouldn't it be wonderful for an evangelist to come in and bring news that you know people in the, in the, the city down the highway there had, had received the gospel? We'd, we'd rejoice, we'd be happy. Was the church at Jerusalem happy? Verse 2, And when Peter was come up to Jerusalem, they that were of the circumcision, that's his Jewish brethren, Jewish brethren in the church, they contended with him 
They didn't rejoice with him. They didn't congratulate him. They contended with him, saying, Thou wentest in to men uncircumcised and didst eat with them. They said, Peter, now you know you're not supposed to be going into the house of Gentiles and eating. What was the mindset of the, the church in Jerusalem and Judea that, that was all Jewish up until this point? What was their mindset? Jews on this side, Gentiles on this side, and a wall of social separation in between. Now, having understood that and considering this as the backdrop behind what we read and find in Acts chapter 10, let's study this chapter together and see what it can teach us. In Acts chapter 10, beginning in verse 1, the Bible says there was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of the band called the Italian band, a devout man and one that feared God with all his house, which gave much alms to the people which pray, and prayed to God always. He saw in a vision evidently about the ninth hour of the day an angel of God coming in to him and saying unto him, Cornelius. And when he had looked on him, he was afraid. And he said, What is it, Lord? And he said unto him, Thy prayers and thine alms are come up for a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa, and call for one Simon, whose surname is Peter. He lodgeth with one Simon a tanner, whose house is by the seaside. He shall tell thee what thou oughtest to do. And when the angel which spake unto Cornelius was departed, he called two of his household servants and a devout soldier of them that waited on him continually. And when he had declared all these things unto them, he sent them to Joppa. Here we're introduced to this man Cornelius. Cornelius was a centurion in the Roman army. The Bible says Cornelius was a devout man. He was a man of great faith, a man of great devotion. The Bible says he feared God. What he knew of God and of his creator, he, he feared and reverenced. He was also a man who instilled faith in the people around him. We're going to see that in verse 24 of this chapter. He wasn't afraid for his faith and his devotion to rub off on the people around him. The Bible says he gave much alms to the people. He was a very generous man. It says he prayed to God continually. Cornelius was a very religious man, wasn't he? You know, Cornelius might put some Christians to shame. This description of him, he sounds like a pretty good guy, doesn't he? But I want to tell you something, as religious as Cornelius was, Cornelius was not saved from his sins. And I want to tell you why Cornelius wasn't saved from his sins. Because Cornelius hadn't heard, Cornelius hadn't believed, and Cornelius had not obeyed the gospel of Jesus Christ. He was still in his sins. And we wonder, you know, well, why hadn't he heard? Why hadn't he heard the gospel of Jesus Christ? Because the people in charge with taking that gospel to all the world were not taking it to every creature, were they? The Jewish apostles who were charged with taking the gospel and preaching it to every creature were in fact holding it back from the Gentiles, those that they were conditionally, cult culturally conditioned to stay away from. You see the problem? See, the problem, there were Gentiles, there were people like Cornelius who needed salvation and needed it so desperately. And they couldn't have it without hearing. Romans 10, 14 says, How shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? How they, shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? Cornelius needed to hear. 
But there needed to be somebody who was willing to go and, and teach him and preach it to him. But how could Cornelius hear, believe, and obey the gospel when the Jewish apostles were not making a diligent effort to take the gospel to the Gentiles? You see, you see the problem? This is a problem in, in, in the first century, and this was a problem in which the Lord intervened in a very, very special way to get the gospel from Peter, a Jewish apostle, to Cornelius, a Gentile who was lost. God, what we're going to read now is how God reaches down with his invisible hand and he brings together, he has to intervene and bring Peter and Cornelius together. Because otherwise, I suppose it might not have happened unless God intervened in this very special way. Okay? The next thing we read about in Acts 10 is Peter's rooftop vision. Acts chapter 10, verse 9. On the morrow, as they went on their journey, these are the men that Cornelius has sent to Joppa to find Peter. As they went on their journey and drew nigh or drew near to the city, Peter went up on the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. It would have been about noon. And he became very hungry and would have eaten. But while they made ready, he fell into a trance and saw heaven opened and a certain vessel descending upon him as it had been a great sheet knit at the four corners and let down to the earth, wherein were all manner of four-footed beasts of the earth, and wild beasts, creeping things, fowls of the air. And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, Not so, Lord, for I've never eaten anything that is common or unclean. Verse 15, And the voice spake unto, unto him again the second time, What God hath cleansed, that call not thou common. This was done thrice, three times. And the vessel was received up again into heaven. Now, this is very interesting, this rooftop vision that Peter has. Peter sees this sheet knit at the four corners. It comes down and it's, it spreads out and there's all these different animals, a wild beast, four-footed beast of the earth in it, and Peter's hungry, and the voice tells Peter, you know, get up, kill these animals, and eat. But Peter looks, and he notices that they're unclean animals. The voice was encouraging Peter to eat animals that were considered unclean according to the dietary laws of, of the law of Moses. Now, those dietary laws and restrictions of that old covenant law had been done away with when Jesus died on the cross. And it's important for us to understand that. Colossians 2.14 talks about the, how those, that law was taken out of the way, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us. And Jesus took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. That old covenant law of Moses was taken out of the way. The binding authority of it was taken away when Jesus died on the cross. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 4, Peter writes to Timothy and says, For every creature of God is good and nothing to be refused. If it be received with thanksgiving, for it is sanctified by the word of God and by prayer. Okay, after the death of Jesus, Peter maintained apparently his customary Jewish diet. And he continued to make a distinction between clean and unclean animals. Now it was okay for Peter to continue to follow his traditional Jewish diet. As long as he didn't try to bind that diet on other people. He needed to realize that the law that had taught him that diet was no longer binding and in effect. And that men are free to eat anything, as long as it be, is received with thanksgiving, it's sanctified by the word of God and by prayer. 
I want to tell you something. The purpose of this rooftop vision really had nothing to do with Peter's diet or what he should eat or what he should not eat or clean animals or unclean animals. The purpose of this vision, as we're going to see in a few moments, was to teach Peter that God was no longer making a distinction between Jews and Gentiles. God was no longer making the distinction between the clean and the unclean people that Peter had in his mind. Okay, That's the purpose of all this. It was God's plan from the very beginning to reconcile both Jews and Gentiles together in one body, the church, by the cross. That's taught in Ephesians 2, beginning in verse 13, where it says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were sometimes were far off, that's the Gentiles, are made nigh, it means you're brought near by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace who hath made both one. The both here is Jews and Gentiles. He's made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make in himself of twain of two one new man, so making peace that he might reconcile both, both as Jews and Gentiles. He might reconcile both unto God in one body, by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby. This was always God's plan, to bring Jews and Gentiles together into one body, one church, and reconcile them to God through the blood Jesus shed on the cross for our sins. Okay, this was the mindset of the first century Jew. This was the mindset of Peter. Jews on this side, Gentiles on this side, a wall of social separation in between. This was God's plan from the very beginning, to bring both Jews and Gentiles together in this one body by the cross. Let's keep reading. We're going to begin to see now the Lord work, and we're going to see him begin to bring Peter and Cornelius together. And I want to tell you, before we go any further in this, in this story, the primary purpose for God intervening in this way was to teach Peter and the Jews that God would accept Gentiles into the church through the preaching of the gospel. And that's what this whole story is going to be about as we get a little further into it in Acts chapter 10, verse 17. The Bible says, Now while Peter doubted in himself what this vision which he had seen should mean, behold, the men which were sent from Cornelius had made inquiry for Simon's house and stood before the gate and called and asked whether Simon, which was surnamed Peter, were lodged there. While Peter thought on the vision, he's just had the vision. And as he's finishing up having this vision, he's thinking about it. That's when the men from Cornelius arrived there outside the house. While Peter thought on the vision, the Spirit said unto him, the Spirit of God speaks to Peter, Behold, three men seek thee. Arise, therefore, get thee down, and go with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. Now why did the Spirit find it necessary to tell this to Peter. Peter, there's three men looking for you. I want you to get down. I want you to go with them. And I don't want you to have any doubts about this. I've sent them. Oh, and by the way, they're Gentiles. <laughs> I'll tell you why the Spirit told Peter these things. Because Peter, without this word from the Spirit, probably would have had his doubts about going with these three Gentile men to the city of Caesarea to find this man Cornelius. Peter said, you go with them doubting nothing. That's exactly what Peter needed to hear. He probably would have had doubts otherwise about going 
and having social interaction with these Gentiles, okay? See how the Lord is directing and guiding Peter in the way he should go? We keep reading verse 21. Then Peter went down to the men which were sent unto him from Cornelius and said, Behold, I am he whom you seek. What is the cause wherefore you're come? And they said, Cornelius the centurion, a just man, one that feareth God, and of a good report among all the nation of the Jews, was warned from God by a holy angel to send for thee into his house and to hear words of thee. Then called he them in and lodged them, and on the morrow Peter went away with them, and certain brethren from Joppa accompanied him. And the, mor and the morrow after they entered into Caesarea, and Cornelius waited for them, and he called together his kinsmen and his near friends. And as Peter was coming in, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter took him up, saying, Stand up, I myself also am a man." And as he talked with him, he went in and found that, there, that, there were come, that they were come together. And he said unto them, Ye know how that it is an unlawful thing for a man to keep company or to come unto one of another nation. But, this is the pivotal point of the story, but God has showed me that I should not call any man common or unclean. Peter says, you know, everything within me is screaming that I shouldn't be here. But God's taught me something. God taught him a lesson through that rooftop vision that I should not call any man common or unclean. Peter's starting to figure it out, isn't he? Peter's starting to figure it out. Let's keep reading. Verse 29, Therefore came I unto you without gainsaying as soon as I was sent for. He says, I ask therefore for what intent have you sent for me? And Cornelius said, Four days ago I was fasting until this hour, and at the ninth hour I prayed in my house, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing, and said, Cornelius, thy prayer is heard, thine alms are had in remembrance in the sight of God. Send therefore to Joppa, and call hither Simon, whose surname is Peter. He's lodged in the house of one Simon a tanner by the seaside, who, when he cometh, shall speak unto thee. Immediately, therefore, Cornelius says, I sent to thee, and thou hast well done that thou art come. Now, therefore, are we all here present before God to hear all things that are commanded thee of God. Okay, so Peter, and later on in the story, it's going to tell us that six of his Jewish Christian brethren from Joppa went with him to Caesarea and went into the house of this Cornelius. And Peter says, okay, I'm here. What do you want? And Cornelius says, well, you know, God, an angel appeared unto me and told me that I should tell you to come. And now you're here, I'm here. Tell us what you need to tell us. It's, it's almost comical in the way that both of them have come together and neither one of them are really sure exactly as to, as to what is supposed to happen. But Peter knows that he, God has taught him that he needed to come and Cornelius knows that God revealed to him that he needed to call for Peter and, and now God has brought them together. What, what next? What happens next? I'll tell you what happens next. Peter preaches the gospel. Peter preaches the gospel to these Gentiles. Then, open, then Peter opened his mouth and he said, Of a truth I perceive that God is no respecter of persons. But in every nation, he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. Peter's figuring it out. 
Now Peter is thinking globally in terms of the Great Commission. He says, I understand now God is no respecter of persons. Men who fear him in every nation can be acceptable in his sight. Peter is figuring it out. He goes on to say in verse 36, he says, The word which God sent unto the children of Israel, preaching peace by Jesus Christ, he's Lord of all. That word I say you know, which was published throughout all Judea, and began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all things which he did, both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, whom they slew and hanged on a tree. Him God raised up the third day and showed him openly, not to all the people, but unto witnesses chosen before God, even to us who did eat and drink with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach unto the people and to testify that it is he which was ordained of God to be the judge of the quick and the dead. To him give all the prophets witness that through his name whosoever believeth in him shall receive remission of sins. Now verse 44. While Peter yet spake these words, as Peter was preaching the gospel, the Holy Ghost fell on all them which heard the word. And they of the circumcision, the Jewish brethren who came with Peter, they of the circumcision which believed were astonished. They couldn't believe what they were seeing. As many as came with Peter, because that on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. For they heard them speak with tongues. They heard them speak foreign languages and magnify God. Then answered Peter, Can any man forbid water that these should not be baptized, which have received the Holy Ghost as well as we? And he commanded them, to be baptized in the name of the Lord, then prayed they him to tarry certain days. Peter preaches the death, the burial, the resurrection of Christ. Same gospel he preached to the Jews in Acts 2. He preaches the same gospel to the Gentiles in Acts 10. And while Peter was preaching the gospel, God did something very special. Almost as to put his holy stamp of approval on what Peter was doing in that house that day to provide a clear and unmistakable sign of his approval for Jews to preach the gospel to Gentiles, God baptized Cornelius and the Gentiles with the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost fell on Cornelius and the Gentiles the same way it had fallen on Peter and the apostles back on Pentecost Day in Acts chapter 2. Peter had seen this before, once, one time. He'd seen it back in Jerusalem when the very same thing happened to him and the apostles. Well, Peter knew what was going on. The Bible says he saw him they saw him speak with tongues. They saw them speak foreign languages that they had never studied or never spoken before. You know, that's, that's an interesting sign that God provided on this occasion when he baptized those Gentiles with the Holy Ghost. You know, over in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 22, the Bible says there that tongues are a sign for unbelievers. Now, I realize that's a completely different context. The context of that 
passage where it says tongues are assigned to unbelievers, the context there is the proper use of the miraculous gifts of tongues in the assemblies of the first century church versus uh, the proper use of prophesying, which would edify the congregations of the first, assembly, or the first uh, century church. Now, I realize it's a completely different con- context, but listen. If we could pick that principle up from 1 Corinthians 14, and if that's a universal principle that also would apply it here in Acts chapter 10, that these tongues that Peter and these Jewish brethren saw were assigned to unbelievers, who were the unbelievers that needed this sign in the house of Cornelius? I ask you to think about it. Who were the unbelievers that needed the sign? Cornelius? The Gentiles? No. The unbelievers who needed the sign were Peter and the Jews. And what did they need that sign for? To convince them that God would accept Gentiles into the kingdom of Christ. And once they had saw the sign, once they had saw the Holy Spirit come on those Gentiles and saw them speak with tongues, there was no denying. Peter said, can any man forbid water that these shouldn't be baptized? You know what he's saying there? If you allow me to paraphrase it, he's saying, okay, boys, I know we've never baptized Gentiles before. But can any one of you think of a reason as to why we shouldn't? Just, just look at them. Just look at them. God's given them the Holy Spirit the same way he gave it to me and the apostles in Acts 2. And look at them. They're speaking in tongues, just like we, di- we did to all those nations of Jews in Acts chapter 2. They couldn't find a good reason. They, they probably didn't expect to be baptizing Gentiles that day when they started the day. But when it came right down to it, when they were witnesses of what happened in that house, they said none of them could forbid it. They commanded them to be baptized with water in the name of Jesus Christ. That's an amazing, amazing story. That's very, very unique. It's very, very special. And it's very, very clear to me when we study the story in its context as to exactly why God gave those Gentiles Holy Spirit baptism had nothing to do with their salvation and whether or not they needed to receive water baptism. It had everything to do with teaching Peter and the Jews that God would accept Gentiles into the kingdom. Okay? Let's look at one more part of the story in Acts chapter 11. This is into the next chapter, Acts chapter 11. Here we see the fallout of all this at Jerusalem. Acts 11 verse 1, we read this earlier. The apostles and brethren that were in Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. And when Peter was come up to Jerusalem, they that were of the circumcision contended with him, saying, Thou wentest in to men uncircumcised and didst eat with them. Okay, and Peter picks it up right there from from that verse, and through verses 4 through verses 14, Peter tells them about everything that happened in Acts chapter 10. He retells the whole story. You can read that in your own time. But when he gets down to verse 15... Peter gets to the interesting part. He tells his Jewish brethren there in Jerusalem. He says, as I began to speak, the Holy Ghost fell on them as on us. That's the apostles at the beginning. Then remembered I the word of the Lord, how that he said, John indeed baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost. For as much then, Peter says, as God gave them, that's the Gentiles, The light gift as he did unto us who believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, that was the Jewish apostles. He gave those Gentiles the same spirit baptism that he gave us apostles. He says, what was I that I could withstand God? 
Who was I to stand there that day and say that they weren't worthy of me to, to eat with them or to be in their home? Who was I to stand there that day and to say that they couldn't receive water baptism, that they couldn't be received into the fellowship of God's people? Peter said, who was I to withstand God? God did something very uh, special, something miraculous to teach Peter and the Jews that they needed to change the way they were thinking and start taking the gospel to those Gentiles. Verse 18, when, Pete, when they, that's the Jewish church at Jerusalem, when they heard these things, they held their peace. Now, earlier they were contending, now they're holding their peace. And they glorified God, saying, Then hath God also to the Gentiles granted repentance unto life. And I don't know if we truly grasp and understand the implications of that very verse right there. That's where the church learned the same lesson that Peter learned in Acts chapter 10. The church learned here. God will accept Gentiles in the kingdom. And you know, had they not learned that lesson back then... Who knows? The gospel may have never come to us Gentile peoples. The Jewish brethren learned very clearly in Acts chapter 11 the same lesson that Peter did. God would accept Gentiles in, into the church. That's what this conversion example in Acts 10 is really all about. That God saves both Jews and Gentiles together in one body by the cross. That's the lesson Peter learned. That's the lesson the Jewish church at Jerusalem learned. I would say that that's the lesson God wants us to learn from this story tonight. I want you to notice they did not learn or even discuss in connection to this whether or not a person had to receive water baptism to be saved. Peter and the Jews didn't walk out of the house of Cornelius and say, well, you know, I guess people don't have to be baptized to be saved. No. But you know, we have a lot of people today who go into Acts 10 and pull a few of these verses out of their context, and that's the point they exactly try to prove, that because God baptized the Gentiles with the Holy Spirit before they receive water baptism, that you can be saved before water baptism, and then they take the next step, well, you don't need water baptism at all. You just need some sort of spirit baptism or some sort of God giving His Spirit to you to be saved. That's not the lesson that the people who lived during this time took away from what happened in, in Caesarea in the house of Cornelius. That's not the lesson God wants us to take away from this story. Let's be careful that we don't go in and pull verses out of their context to try to make them say something that they really don't say at all. That's very dangerous. We certainly don't want to be guilty of that. We need to look at Scripture very carefully and consider it in its complete context. And when we do that, I think we can all clearly see why the things happened the way they did in Acts chapter 10. If you're here tonight and you've never obeyed the Lord, if you've never believed the gospel or put your faith in the gospel, if you've never obeyed the gospel in baptism, we give you opportunity to do that tonight. Now, I realize many of you put the Lord on in baptism maybe many years ago. But there may be some here tonight who have never taken that step. If you're here tonight, you can be saved by the same gospel that saved Cornelius if you'll obey it the same way that he did. He put his faith in Christ. Peter preached to him. 
He put his faith in Christ to save him. He put his faith in that death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And when he was commanded to obey the Lord in baptism, that's exactly what he did. He obeyed the Lord. He, he received water baptism. We're saved the very same way today, by hearing the gospel, by believing it, by obeying that death, burial, and resurrection in baptism. And when we do that, God will save us just as much as he saved Cornelius. I hope and pray that having studied this tonight, you're better equipped to help teach those who might have an incorrect or misguided understanding about what happened in Acts chapter 10. Let's all let these things go deep into our heart and mind. Let's have the courage, the braveness, the boldness to help people to understand the truth, to eliminate all the confusion and error that leads people astray from God. If you're here tonight and you need the Lord, you need our prayers, you need to obey the gospel, please don't hesitate. Make that known by coming forward, having a seat on the front, and we will help you. We will help you while we stand and while we sing the song that's been selected.